In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 32nd episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show is about, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to the Voice America business channel. And be sure to download the app or check it out anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Now, if you missed last week's show, I interviewed Akeem Nowak. He is a former mediator and executive coach working with successful leaders, helping them to become even more successful. Check out that episode from April 2nd. Today, my guest is Chrysandra Knight. Welcome, Chrysandra. Thank you, Amy. Excited to be here. Yeah, and I am too, because I'm thinking back, you and I first met in Denmark, right? That's correct, yeah. In 2010 for a leadership training. Mm. And we've been corresponding and connecting and sharing success stories since then. Yes, absolutely. And it, yeah, was it's one of my favorite courses and it's had a big impact on my life. Oh, that's really cool to hear. Well, let me tell listeners a little bit of your background and I actually have some questions as we go through for you. So, Chrysandra is the head of sales operations for Maersk Oceana. Her teams ensure smooth sailing for customer for the customer journey. I love that expression. <laughs> She's a Wista Australian committee member and excited to be part of a dynamic and growing industry. So, Chrysandra, the first question I have for you is what is WISTA? Yes, WISTA is Women's International Shipping and Trading Association. It's a global association and a consultative body to the IMO. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a dynamic organization for leaders in the shipping and trading and logistics industries and across the maritime sectors and uh, really really full of energy and a great network to be a part of. And I am assuming you've been having Zoom gatherings last year or so? Uh Yeah, we're very happy to introduce in 2020 a series of webinars for WISTA members and non-members. And we've had such great feedback. They've been such a success that we've continued on all kinds of topics to support leaders uh, in, in those industries. But applicable to anyone in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Very cool. So a little bit more about Chrysandra's background. Her passion for customer experience was sparked by her mother's struggles with multiple sclerosis. Her mom spent a lot of time in hospitals and many years in a wheelchair. And from the age of 12, Chrysandra was advocating for access, respect, and care for her mom. Her experience has shaped her as an advocate for respect and care for customers. Customer experience is about acknowledging our humanness. Isn't that so true? That's beautiful. And acting with empathy, despite the challenges that institutional processes, procedures, and systems can put in our way. Chrysandra has a funny, joyful, and determined four-year-old, Tilly Ruth. 
I like that name. How did you guys come upon that name? Yes. So Tilly Ruth, um, I'm from the South in the U.S. and I just kind of love, I was Chrissy Kay as a little one. Uh-huh. And my mother was Martha Kay and I really liked that sort of rhythm. So yeah. Tilly Ruth was definitely high on our list. We're really happy to say that Ruth is a family name. So my wife, Katie, is her middle name. It's one of Tilly's cousin's middle name and it's Katie's grandmother's middle name. So oh, wow. it's a nice family name. And yeah, a Tilly lot of connections. Was a, exactly, exactly. And Tilly was a little bit Aussie. Um, and I think a little bit fun as well. So Tilly Ruth. Oh, very She lives cool. up to the name. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we're going to hear more about Tilly Ruth, I think. And okay. I'm having a little urge, a little problem here with my headset. Give me a second. Okay, I'm back. Now, your wife is a graphic designer and painter, though you know that already. That's really for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, that's right. <laughs> And of course, when Chris Andrews is not working, she's either on the pitch or the playground with Tilly Ruth. Yes. And like you said, you're originally from Florida, now living in Sydney, Australia. Yes. Yeah. So it's beautiful here. Is it? I, it's a place that I have yet to visit. And I really very much want to because most, yes, the climate and everything, though, the people, Australians I meet are just lovely human beings. Agreed. Australians and Canadians are right up there with the loveliest people you meet traveling, I think. Yeah. And that expression down to earth, I think probably fits well for them. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're really spoiled being here. It's a beautiful city to be in, lots of nature. um, And I think a very like authentic, connective type culture. Mm -hmm. You know, when you and I were talking weeks back about you coming on, we talked about how it would be really cool to have you share your experiences with the partner techniques and how they helped you to stay collaborative as both a parent and a leader. Hmm. Now, before I start aiming questions your way, I want to first give the listeners some backstory in case they're not familiar with when we talk about partner techniques, what do we, you know, some of it's pretty common sense, though. Uh, There's a little explanation that will benefit listeners. So uh, the quick overview is this model of predator-prey partner, which comes from my sister, Pat Kirkland, who developed it. And the idea is most of us are being partners most of the time, meaning I'm holding high respect for myself, high respect for the other, all is well. The problem, under pressure, stress, perceived threat, crisis, COVID, or just if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, we are going to, many of us, if we haven't trained ourselves likely slip into either predator or prey. So the predators, she's holding too much respect for herself, not enough for others, acting very um, perhaps perceived as arrogant or aggressive or intimidating. Any way you cut it, it's likely to damage a relationship. Whereas the prey, P-R-E-Y, is usually being submissive, showing too much respect for the other, not enough for herself. And you would think this is okay and people would like that. No, 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 no. It can actually trigger people to become aggressive towards the prey, towards the person being too nice. Mm. So um, the program you took years ago was about that, those concepts and teaching the behaviors of body language, voice, words to stay partner under pressure. And then what I brought into that um, is the partner mindset techniques that you and I are going to be talking about. 
And I also suspect there's a lot of the behaviors you're using really well as well. So like right now, listeners can't see the gorgeous smile you have, though it's it's infectious. Um, so thank you. Absolutely. So the tech, the partner mindset techniques are the, the mindset part. What are we thinking? What are we feeling? What are we telling ourselves? What stories are we making up that are either helping us to stay partner or pulling us out of partner? Mm. So I feel like that's a, a good enough overview for us to go with. Would you add anything? Absolutely. Well, I was just thinking what I would add that really rang true for me was the prey is a bit like that people pleaser where maybe, you know, over caring for others, not caring enough for ourselves. And I remember you talking about the pissed off prey. Yeah. Right. Where, can I say that word? Um, yeah, 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 we can the, say big words here, <laughs> bad words. In French, they call them big words. I said a big word. Big <laughs> it's funny because we blame the French for all our bad language, don't we? <laughs> Um, but that that pissed off prey, that way you really kind of turn and go aggressive. I was struggling with that and had no kind of language or idea. And the model has really helped me be intent. I have a tent about how I want to interact and also be aware of when I am, you know, kind of falling back into some of those prey habits. So I found it incredibly powerful. You know, that's so encouraging to hear. And something to understand is, when, so another expression, the acronym for the pissed off prey is when they pop. <laughs> I forgot that part. That's brilliant. Yeah, that actually I have to give credit to <laughs> one of my former coaches for coming up with that. <laughs> and the, the thing is, the reason why they pop in the first place is because a situation under pressure happens and they, they deal with it in a really nice, kind way. And when that doesn't work, they get nicer and nicer and nicer. And so where they're unbeknownst to the prey, they're unknowingly triggering someone to be even more aggressive towards them. Not that a prey should take responsibility for someone else's behavior, though it's just the dy human dynamics. And because at some point a prey is like, basta, enough is enough. I am not, not putting up with this anymore. Because they have that inner self-respect, they blow up, they pop, and they, and I'm doing this arc in, in the sky uh, where they, they jump into predator mm. behaviors. And yes. so a lot of prey think they're being predators when in, it's not really, the origin is not predator origin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, and keeping that respect is something, you know, high respect for others, high respect for ourselves. It is a challenge, especially under pressure. Um, yeah. And it's a great, great model, great model that I find really useful. And I know we're going to be talking about this more about uh, your daughter and your role as a parent and your role as a leader. And I'll be very curious to know if you consciously teach some of these things to Tilly Ruth um, or if you do things that, you know, you're modeling partner behavior for her. So for, feel free to share any of those if uh, you think of them. Absolutely. All right. Should we jump in? Let's do it. So I really, I'm going to ask you the first question is how has becoming a parent helped you to become a better leader? Well, so having a four-year-old, Tilly Ruth, is a fantastic mirror for your behaviors. Um, and in a very genuine and authentic way, she's really great at calling me out 
when mm. I'm not being collaborative. Ouch. She just instinctively knows. So I've got this little mirror who <laughs> is very good at reflecting back what I'm doing or telling me verbally, you know, what, what, what I need to be doing. And she's just really increased my level of empathy, not only kind of sending my own shoes, but also looking at her and the challenges from when she was little, you know, how much work it is to learn these new skills, you know, as a, as a growing child, but also, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big world and there's lots going on and just developing that sort of empathy of, we just don't know what's happening in people's lives mm-hmm. and sort of walking in with that respect, assuming positive intent so she's really upped my level of empathy and also, ironically, <laughs> improved my patience. So really. Oh, that is. Yes. Yes. Bonus. So really a good um, reminder, like when I'm not being patient and telling me very clearly I'm not being patient. Okay. So, so we're going to jump into some examples <laughs> of yeah, how she does yeah. this. Yeah. So one of the one of the standouts is that she's really good about telling me when I'm rushing her. Hmm. And I would I would admit, as I imagine many parents have done, say I'm not I'm not going to push my kid. Right. I'm going to be really relaxed and let them explore for three and- minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and she's just really good at saying, "Stop rushing me. You're rushing me. Stop hmm. rushing me." And how that lands with me is that I go, okay, so not even conscious I'm rushing, but right. you're right. Absolutely. You're right. I am rushing you. I'm going to take a step back. So I take a step back and then mentally I'm thinking, why am I rushing? Mm-hmm. Like what's really, what's really pushing me? And then many times it is, I just want to be on time somewhere right. or I'm thinking about the next thing and not about where I am. So that's really teaching me to be present. That's what I want to aspire, aspire to be. So when I hear that, and I imagine putting myself in your shoes and like, maybe I'm taking care of someone's kid and I, I have a plan. I want to go somewhere. I want to do something. I'm not, my, would my motivation I think would be a little less altruistic. It would be about because it's Amy's agenda and it's Amy's world and Amy has things to do and places to go, you know? So it, I think it would feel a little bit like a slap in the face and a a healthy one, useful one to realize, Oh wow, Amy, you're not the only person in the room here. And just because you have your agenda and you want to do what you want to do doesn't mean that other people's, needs and preferences aren't equally important. Mm. So I could feel like, I could imagine if a little kid said that to me, I'm like, ouch. Oh, okay. They're right. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, what's, you know, I'd be desperately looking for my good reason for rushing because we have to do what Amy wants to do. <laughs> yeah. So I can imagine. Well, that's just it, right? Like I, I also very early on and knowing when I was going to become a parent thought, well, and I'm not going to just say, cause I say so. That's not going to be me. That's the type of parent I'm going to be. But that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Well, because I said so. (laughs) So I really do try to check that one. And it's been so enlightening. Like, why am I so hung up on this? Why am I? What is really going to happen if we're late to soccer class? Like, what really is the impact there? And so that's been one thing where I've just said, oh, my God, you're totally right. We don't need to rush. It's Mm. Saturday. Like, let's just enjoy this time. What I also find 
and this relates back to the partner techniques, is it's because I'm really attached, right, to that outcome. Like there's something I'm driving for. Mm-hmm. And little kids pick up on this so quickly and they put the brakes on because <laughs> the one thing they don't want to do, right, in inserting their independence is they definitely don't want to do what we want them to do. <laughs> and that's, that's, you know, that's healthy. That's that separation. Right. Right. You know, the, the, what can she, what can she control and who is she and what are her decisions is what's going through Tilly's mind. So, so um, let me pause and, and I, yeah, so I just catch myself. <laughs> so I want to come back to this because I also want to make the connection to the leadership though for listeners, something that Chris Andrew just mentioned was um, the, when we're attached to outcomes. So the partner mindset technique, the, to help with that is, I encourage people to ta- to detach from the outcome. Okay, you're like, yeah, I mean, that's obvious, that's simple. What do you mean by that? How do you do that? Well, oddly enough, and tell me if this is true for you, Cassandra. Sometimes yes. just becoming aware that I'm attached to wanting something and acknowledging that makes me slightly less attached to it. So it that helps me to detach that somewhat. And then also I might find a way to give myself some empathy and like, oh yeah, because I was really wanting to get there early because I wanted to get a good parking spot or I want to get a good seat or something like that. So um, the first awareness, then the empathy is a great way to help us detach from the outcome. And when we detach from the outcome, we're less likely to go prey or predator. Absolutely. And I think of it, the little kind of analogy I have in my head is when you're trying to untie a knot, mm-hmm. pulling harder yeah. is the knot just gets tighter, right? You don't go anywhere with it. Whereas getting detached from that outcome, I kind of feel like loosens that knot. You can kind of start to unravel it. And I've I've uncovered a lot of things, you know, like I, I do want to be early. Um, and it's not just about the good parking spot, right? It's about like, I'm, I'm, a, t- I'm on a parent, I'm on time, I'm responsible, I'm organized. So all these stories mm-hmm. in my head about who I am and what this behavior displays for me. And when she holds up that little mirror, like you're rushing me or puts the brakes on, no, I'm not going to put on my shoes. It really does allow me to just say, okay, like what am I driving for and why am I driving for it? And in many cases, just that acknowledgement is enough to actually help move her along as well. Ironic. Just saying, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm rushing you. You know, you're so good at putting on your shoes. Of course, you know how to do that. Let me give you some time. And then, you know, she's like on board. And I find it's very similar because we're all humans. I think it's really similar in the workplace. And I had a call last week with someone where I was, the one thing on my mind when I called was how are we going to get this list of things done? We've got to get these quotes out to customers. How are we going to get it done? When I started talking to her, it just sort of hit me. I was like, oh my God, this just isn't possible. I'm asking too much. And just really switched my frame of mind. So instead of driving for that outcome, just really listening to the to the person working for me and saying, what can we do? So what's realistic? What's possible? And helping guide those priorities, right? You know, if we can only get five things out of 10 done, let's pick the most important five. So for me, I think my ability to do that in the workplace has been, I guess, encouraged or broadened by these interactions with Tilly. Mm -hmm. So he really does sort of help me 
become much more aware of how my own behaviors are affecting those around me and affecting the outcomes that I really want to deliver. Wow, that's very cool to see the concrete application of it. And I think it's important for listeners to uh, appreciate that when we're encouraging them to be detached from the outcome, we're not implying or suggesting they should give up on their goals or hopes or desires. You know, and with the example you give with the work environment, what you were looking at is what's realistic, what's feasible. Mm. Yeah, and then honestly, it becomes my problem how we get the other ones done, right? So I think sort of taking that ownership back and saying, like, we, we need to do this as a team. What can you do? What's realistic for you? And then I got to solve the rest of it. And I think sometimes it is a little bit like you're trying to get trying to get Tilly dressed and out the door. It's actually my problem because <laughs> she's perfectly fine running around the house naked. <laughs> you know? um, so it's like, how do we work together with that, you know, together on that so that she doesn't feel rushed mm-hmm. and we can get dressed and we get out the door at a reasonable time. Mm-hmm. And I, I really find detaching from that outcome and not driving for it helps us both get there together. Ironic. Not necessarily as quickly as I would like, but sure. we get there together. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned an author, Janet Langsbury. Did oh, I say yes. it right? Yes. Tell me yeah, more about, right. about that book she wrote and mm. why you like it so yeah. much. So, Janet Lansbury wrote uh, No Bad Kids, and she does a fantastic podcast, and she translates those into a blog that you can read as well. And it really sounds silly to say this, but what she advocates is that babies are whole human beings and deserve all of our respect from birth, which sounds really obvious because you wouldn't say that they don't deserve our respect. But what it really brought home to me is I didn't think necessarily considered Tilly at all times, at all ages, to be this whole human Mm -hmm. with her own opinions and you know, decision-making authority, et cetera. And it's really reframed that for me. And what she advocates for is respectful parenting. And that is all about collaborating with kids wow. and meeting them where they're at, right? So, of course, you collaborate with a two-year-old differently from a four-year-old differently from an sure. eight-year-old, Sure. you know, and being aware of what their capabilities are and being able to meet them there. It has opened my eyes to kind of my own behaviors that, have maybe not been so collaborative and I'm not trying to give the impression that I'm perfect at these things, but it also is, is a good um, reminder, right? Like one of those awareness triggers we go, Oh, oops, did that again. Or, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sounding, I'm sounding really authoritarian right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me rephrase. Um, and Janet Lansbury's brilliant. And every, every time I listen to one of her podcasts or I read it, not only does it inspire me to be a better parent with Tilly, but I think, Oh, I could have really used that <laughs> at work. When I was talking with one of my colleagues, right? Or when I was trying to get that project done. So um, I, I find it, yeah, very fascinating. Okay, excellent. So Janet Langsbury, No Bad Kids is the name of her book and Respectful yes. Parenting is the concept. Wow, I'm going to have to check that out also. Because like you said, it's uh, e- even if I don't have little mini people, I'm still going to benefit, I think. So um, we're going to be taking a break in a little while, though. Before we do, I'm wondering if I can we can broach this topic of there's one partner mindset technique that I advocate, which is the broken record approach, which is simply using the same approach or the same phrase usually over and over until um, the person responds to your request. Though 
doing it in such a way that is calm, cool, collected. There's no edge. There's no attitude. There's no frustration coming out in the delivery. Is that how you would describe the broken record approach? Or would you add more to that? Absolutely. And before having Tilly, before becoming a parent, I thought I was really good at this. Uh, You know, and I thought, oh, I'm really staying calm. I'm iterating the point. I'm making it clear, you know, this is where we need to go. Since having Tilly, I realize I've probably been annoying a lot of people (laughs) because she's pointed out that I sound more like a broken record than a partner when I, how I was executing it. Mm. And she reminds me by saying, you have told me that. (laughs) You have told me that already. Mm -hmm. And she's helped me refine the use of this because what I think is so powerful about the broken record technique is that you're keeping hold of the goal, right? right? There's somewhere you need to get to as a business or as a partnership or as a parent. Yeah. Um, and the intent really is to be listening and going on that journey with the people we need to go on it with, right? So I think the example that I recall from your book was about the um, becoming redundancies, right? And that there was going to be a cut in staff and that we need to take action. And I work with a lot of product projects where we do need to make some big changes. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard for people to get on board with those changes. So the broken record technique helps me iterate that we still we still need to get this thing done, but how can we get there together? And what Tilly's really taught me with her excellent mirror um, <laughs> is that I've got to listen and really relate to the other person's concerns and the roadblocks that they are coming across, even if they're on kind of mental, personal roadblocks, and then find a way through together. But by not letting go, like, you know, not being deterred, we've got to get to this goal together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it holds on, you know, it, it, I guess, um, I guess it's, it's, it, it's not letting go of the goal, like you mentioned, yes, detaching from the outcome, but not letting go of the goal and using that technique just to help people get along. And I wasn't very good at listening mm-hmm. previously, but since Tilly, she's really helped me realize how I need to listen differently. Oh, wow. So it's the listening that also supports the broken record approach to be more effective for you. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Listening and adjusting my response more, right? Mm-hmm. Not just saying the same thing over and over, but adjusting. Correct. You know, like with, yeah, good with point. T- yeah, yeah. Yeah. As you hear more information, you adjust your response, though it's still delivered in that calm, respectful manner. Yes. Mm. So we're going to pause here. And if you listeners want to find out more about Chris Anger, you want to connect with her, you can reach out to her directly on LinkedIn. I'm going to spell her name for you. It's K-R-I-S-A-N-D-R-A and her family name, Knight, K-N-I-G-H-T. So you'll be able to find her on LinkedIn. When we come back from break, we're going to hear more from Cassandra and how using these partner mindset techniques are helping in the COVID world and your approach to leadership. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics 
what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. My guest today is Chrisandra Knight, who is the head of sales operations for Maersk Oceana. We've been discussing how the use of partner mindset techniques have helped her to stay collaborative, both as a parent and as a leader. Um, and so we're going to jump into some more questions, though. Chrisandra, did you say you had a question for me? Yes, Amy, I've got a question for you. Okay. So I think it's been... Uh, nine years or so that I've been I've read your book and been practicing your te- techniques. And I'm really curious, does this ever become just natural? Mm. And, you know, is this a journey ever end of just living partner? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'll use my own experience to answer that. I, I have been pleasantly surprised how my brain has really started to become a kinder place to live. <laughs> so I have got a great story. This happened to me. I was in Jakarta. This was so this was already many years ago. So this is a good sign that it hasn't only it hasn't been just recently. I I'd never been to Jakarta before and um, I had trained all day long and that evening I was going a couple of blocks from the hotel to have a massage. And so I Jakarta is an intense place. I mean, just crossing the street for this little Westerner was, you know, took a lot of focus. And I thought, Amy, you don't know this culture. You don't know this city. You don't know um, proper etiquette. So first of all, just, you know, make sure you're focusing on getting across the street um, without upsetting cars or, or getting hit. And also, the other thing that um, I didn't want to do was make so much eye contact with people because I realized that in certain cultures, that's not always appropriate. So I got to the massage place easily. I had this amazing massage. And on the way home, I'm walking back and I'm staying focused because I know this big, 
Boulevard is coming up shortly. And I see a man that's standing off to the side, leaning against a wall. And there's no one else around except he and I. And so um, I just continue to walk straight ahead. And the first thing I hear is, and he clears his throat. And the next thing I feel is, and and he has spit on my head. He had very good aim because he was not very close. (laughs) And um, I had this little shock reaction to my body. uh, You know, so kind of all the benefit of the massage kind of just flew out the window. And I didn't, um, I don't, I don't remember if I looked at him or not. I remember, I think I did. I looked over and he's staying there and I look back and I don't have any reaction on my face to my knowledge. What was most fascinating, Chris Andrew, is that in my head, the thought was, bless you. I know, wow. right? To this man. I, wow. And I, I never got angry. I got curious, you know, so after I crossed the street, I'm back back in my hotel room and and it was a bit of a a shock to go through that. So my body's like kind of recovering from the shock. And I just thought, hmm, I wonder why he did that. And so I I don't know, I'll never know the truth, though I decided to make up the story that, um, and because, oh, the other thing I noticed as my week progressed in Jakarta was how friendly people were. And they would see me and they would approach me and they'd ask me where I was from. And so they were very interested and curious in me. And so I used that as the story, as I kept thinking about this guy and this interaction, I thought, oh, he probably expected me to connect with him and smile at him and make eye contact. And when I didn't do that and I looked straight ahead, maybe he interpreted that as a rude or a disrespectful to him that maybe he thought, oh, here's this Western woman who um, thinks she's too good for me. Because now I remember I had looked at him and I saw that he had he was dressed in a way that he didn't look like he was very wealthy. And I probably did look like I was wealthy and had money. And so the story I decided to make up was that um, I he he had was carrying around this anger and he decided to target it at me um, because that moment at that exchange, I didn't show kindness and respect towards him. Of course, it wasn't my intention at all, though he couldn't have known that. And um, though I tell you that story as so how amazed I am to this day that I never got angry with him for doing such an unpleasant thing. Right. Um, You know, so I share that as a sign of encouragement that over time, the brain will change sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that's exactly the encouragement that that I needed. I think that's really great. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the thing is, when we can already do the behaviors of partner externally, even if inside my head my mind is thinking about, oh, this person is being a jerk or being disrespectful. It's already for me a huge success if I can manage my external voice, body language and words to hold respect for myself and for the other, because that's often enough to change the dynamics. And then when I see that person change in front of me, I do my happy dance because I'm just always amazed. Oh, my God, it worked again. Yes, yes. And and kindness goes a long way, right? Just just the intent of kindness um, and a smile, especially in these days when people are so isolated um, and physically distancing, um, it is, kindness goes a long way. Yeah, 
Yes. So I'm curious to know, um, how has COVID impacted your approach to leadership? Again, this is one of these sort of um, impression about myself changing moments. So Mm -hmm. pre-COVID, I thought I was like a very trusting boss and super flexible and really empowering. And COVID super tested that. So this having to let go not having the control of all the work that's going on, you know, really challenging. When are we working? So the the level of flexibility has just increased exponentially, right? With everyone working from home, caring for children, managing online school for primary high school kids, right? We've really had to just let go of all these concepts about what work is and how it's controlled and how it's managed. So for me, COVID has really truly up to my trust level and made me aware when my trust level is being, I guess, triggered in a way where I'm thinking, ooh, is that really happening? What's going on? It's just made me realize, okay, that's my issue, right? So I need to I need to address that and then engage in a way that's inquisitive and supportive to help people, you know, overcome whatever roadblocks they're having. So this COVID has definitely taught me to let go. It's increased my view of flexibility. I thought I was a big proponent of flexible working. And now I'm like, wow, this is beyond flexible. Wow. And it works. Like, like what, it what are work. some examples of that flexibility? Uh, so I guess just, just not expecting people to be online at certain times. So mm. allowing people to work, say, some people going online from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., taking a break in the middle of the day to set up um, kids online. And then coming back on in the afternoon or even the evening. So that's very different schedule than we had imagined. But actually, there's some real advantages that we can find in that. Mm. Uh, Four-day work weeks to support people. Um, really late night working, you know, like kind of as it suits the individual, right? right kind of letting right. them pick up things in the evening. Um, for myself, just even, you know, in these very stressful times, blocking blocking out an hour for an online restorative yoga class was something I never would have considered before if I wasn't working from home and really encouraging my team to say, look, if it's important for you to get out in the sunshine and take a run, block out two hours of your your calendar in the middle of the day and work around it. As long as people know, we can do these things, which I think when you're in the office tied to a desk, People kind of, oh, what time does she leave for lunch? Right. When are they coming back? We just don't have that anymore. Yeah. And it really catapulted us as a company into video chat, mm-hmm. where before we would have been much more kind of email and maybe some phone calls. Yeah. It's allowed, allowed me, so having to be video ready and video on in meetings yeah. is exactly what you're talking about, controlling that body, the facial expressions, and the tone a lot more. Mm-hmm. So those people... And we all have them that we would have been listening to and go, oh, my gosh, here we go. And rolling the eyes. Yeah, it can't happen anymore. <laughs> right. And the, the best thing about that is that I have to go, why do I want to roll my eyes? Because it's my, you know, it's my thing. Right. So what is it? And I find I've made all these kinds of assumptions. Mm. I've had a conversation at some point in time. Um, you know, something has happened and I've, I've kind of drawn a conclusion about someone completely yeah. unfounded. Like you, you talk about with the make up and make up a new story or make up another story in the partner right. techniques, right. which you illustrated in your story. And it is, mm. it's all stories. 
Like yep. it's just all stories in our head. So making up another story about people and identifying kind of what's my trigger? Yeah. Like what is it about that that's making me want to roll my eyes? Um, controlling my facial expression when I'm challenged in groups, you know, like, yeah, yes. <laughs> okay. And, you know, apparently when we don't make the grimacing face, it's harder for us to feel that negative feeling. So people might feel like, oh, I'm being inauthentic. I'm faking it. Well, that faking it can actually influence our internal mindset, which is kind of amazing. That is amazing. And is it, is it Amy Cuddy that talks about how the body posture influences the mind? And she, the actual she's chemistry one of the people, the yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pa- yeah. Power and, posing. Um, that's right. The power posing. So I can totally see what you're talking about, that by simply, you know, kind of putting that forward, that partner approach in my body language and in my voice, I'm creating that mindset at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, Absolutely. I love your uh, example of flexibility with people, you know, hey, if you need to, you know, you want to go for a run and block X number of hours. And I can see now the direct correlation of how that increases trust. And when people feel trust, uh, trusted, it's a sign of respect. When we feel respected, we're just tend to be more loyal. When we're more loyal, we tend to give more of ourselves. So it's such a, um, positive domino effect that you're describing. Yes. And I, w- I would really say COVID has helped me challenge some of the kind of conceptions I had about what was acceptable in terms of flexibility yes. or what was okay. Right. And so now there's a lot, lot more. And I just, yeah. Yes. I, I, and it makes life better for me too. Cause like, you know, I'll book out time to go to gymnastics with Tilly, which is something I never, never would have been like, I'm right. going to work from home because I'm going to gymnastics class, <laughs> but it's so fun, right? It's so fun. Yeah. I um, was giving a training to 20 people a couple weeks ago and I stood up to do a demonstration. I realized they could see my yoga pants. I'm like, I said, yes, I am wearing yoga pants. <laughs> and you know, that's the ongoing joke. And I just embraced it. And it's like, and people appreciate, I think, the um, authenticity and honesty of um, seeing people's homes, for example, and seeing their little yes. kids run in and, and, and having that connection that we never had before. Mm, absolutely. And hearing leaders, you know, senior leaders who we think of in a very professional context, talking about their family situation yep. and having you know, their own kids at home or their yep. grandkids at home because their kids are trying to work, things like that. It's yeah. been really just sort of opened up the, I guess, the way we perceive each other and leaders. Yeah. It m- makes it harder for us to not see each other more multidimensional. And when we can do that, yes. like you're describing that sense of empathy for them, I think naturally increases. Mm-hmm. There was one story that I really wanted to share because I yeah. thought it would be quite inspiring. Oh, good. Um, for you and for the people listening. And it has to do with accept the offer, which is something I struggle with. You know, when someone offers to carry the groceries or take right. your suitcase or I was like, no, 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 I've got it. Like, I'm a strong, independent woman. I've got this. Right. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, let me add a little more meat to that for the listeners. So, accept the offer. This comes from improvisational theater. Uh, and where your, your actors are co-creating the scenes, the skits, the dances, the songs right in the moment. And in order for this to be successful, one of the things we need to do with each other is accept the offer that the other person gives us and not block it or resist it or say no to it. 
And what I found is that this is beneficial to all relationships, even with complete strangers. And in fact, in my book, there's that one story about the guy on the train and me um, luckily at the last second accepting his offer. And no, it was not an offer of marriage, if in case you guys are wondering, (laughs) it wasn't that we didn't get that far. um, And so the idea is an offer can be very literal. Can I help you with your groceries? Or it can be more subtle, like, wow, did you see that rainbow earlier? And so I'm encouraged listeners to expand your concept of what an offer can be that you can receive from others and that you can give others. And Chris, Andrew, maybe you're going to tell us in your story, though, I'm wondering, um, well, you did start, you did say a little bit why you tend not to accept offers. Um, and I think there's other reasons people tend to block offers. One, we don't realize an offer has been made. Right. Two, we feel like we might have to owe the other person something. Mm. Um, Three, sometimes, this is unfortunately one of the reasons I like to block and say no sometimes in order to uh, be uh, clever and impress someone, which is usually the opposite (laughs) of what happens. (laughs) Okay, so um, please go ahead with your story. Yeah, so um, Tilly goes to football soccer class um, on the weekends, and one of the kids in her class was really struggling to stay engaged and stay with the group and sort of running all around. And The coach has set up this competition between two little teams to give them some skills practice. So the coach walks through what we're supposed to do, and Tilly's intently, to, you know, and she's competition. She's there. She's ready. She wants to win. And the other kid's just you know, wah! and um, the most beautiful thing happened. So uh, this little kid who's sort of struggling to stay engaged comes over to Tilly and gives her the cone that he has collected as part of this drill. And the look on her face is like, what are you doing? This is competition. Like, you know, the first kind of thing is like, do you not understand the instructions? And then within a split second, she says, okay, and adds the cone to her pile, which she's holding. And the most beautiful thing happens. They spent the next like six minutes doing the drill together. And he would give every cone to Tilly and Tilly would hold it. They walked over to the coach and presented all their cones. They did it before the other team. Um, and Tilly says, you know, my little friend here and I, we did this together. We did this together. We went together. And I just, I watched the two of them do this and the engagement, the shift in the engagement the fun that they were having, it was amazing. And I just thought to myself, what if we really did accept the offer? Yeah. You know, like how would that change the way, the way that we're working and the way that we're leading? So that was just a really powerful moment for me. Wow. There's something, I don't know if I'll get this right. There's, um, you can, you can play the game, you can change the rules you can change the game something like that it's like she the two of them they just completely flipped that game on its head yes. that's fantastic yeah they did and, and you could see her confusion at first right well, she had said earlier to her little friends like you need to be listening she's she's very strict i don't know where she gets that from but um, <laughs> she is very like you should be listening to the coach so you know what's going on um so it was just really interesting to see in that split second she just decided to take that cone yeah. And they work so beautifully together and it changed his dynamic as well, right? right? Like having that, 
almost like that virtual kind of hand extended. They became pals and they were like sort of, yeah, it was yeah, really, that, it was really beautiful to see. That is a classic accepting the offer. Wow. So I have another question for you. Um, yes. You talk about something called GPS. What is that and what oh. impact does it have on your mindset? So this is, this is, I'm sure you know a lot about positive psychology. I'm, yeah. I'm just learning. Okay. And this was recommended to me by a, a coach that I have been working with. And GPS stands for um, grateful, pleased, and satisfied. And the idea is that as a daily practice to write down three things you're grateful for, three things you're pleased with, and three things you feel satisfied with. Hmm. And for someone, like, you know, I'm, I'm always sort of looking externally for that feedback of what I've done well and feeling appreciated. For me, I found this was very soothing, right? So if anyone listening kind of feels like they've got a hook about getting other people to recognize them or getting other people to sort of give them, you know, recognition or accolades, this really has helped me sort of just calm that voice in my head because these are the things I feel grateful for, which is that sort of positive mindset coming in. Here's what I'm really pleased with. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Yeah. Here's what I'm really pleased with. And here's why I feel really satisfied I've done today. It could be as simple as like, I got all the dishes out of the dish drain. Right. <laughs> They're all put away now. Or it could be something, you know, big, like, oh man, I got that big presentation, you know, finished. I feel confident to give that tomorrow. I'm really feeling pleased with the work I've put into that. Mm. So yeah, GPS, I find it really really powerful. Okay. Thank you for that. That's fab. And how have the partner techniques in the Ego Tango helped you to build strong teams and deliver results? <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Ego Tango and I share it with my, the team that works for me as well as other leaders. Cool. And I think probably what has one of the strongest techniques for me um, has been about the detached from the outcome partnered with the broken record technique mm -hmm. and just really helping people go on that change journey. Mm -hmm. so I mentioned a little bit about that, about that before. Um, but in addition to that, making up a different story, mm -hmm. because I think, you know, we can interact with people from all around the world and all different cultures. And just as simple as a, something as like a dear sir in an email that I received can kind of like, Oh, you know, kind of be a trigger or put me off, Oh, sure. Um, you know, and then kind of making up a different story helps me take all of that reactive emotion out of things. And we talked about the, you know, the, the people that you might be, if you were, if you weren't on video, you'd be rolling your eyes. It's also challenging that story that's in my head about what their motivations might be or why they're doing that. And that really helps me bring the team together because I can offer them some alternatives. And as a team, I think it can be really easy to sort of get stuck in a story. Like, oh, this team isn't really helpful. They don't understand what we do. Um, they're always, they're always making, making errors or causing problems. And by my coming up with those alternative stories, I can open that door for the team and say, okay, guys, let's, let's take a step back. Nice. What might be happening for them? What are the challenges they might be facing? How can we connect with them in a way and sort of change our own story as a team? So I think that these techniques apply not just to ourselves, but also to the way we get people collaborating or yeah. the questions that we might ask as leaders. Oh, well done. You, you were... 
Moving towards the end of our discussion today, and I want to ask you a kind of a combo question as the last question. And it's sort of like um, ways you use to stay calm during stressful situations, and then maybe connecting that with the wanting nothing time. Oh, well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Okay, good. So one of the things um, that I've recently learned in a leadership course was called the third space. And I can't remember um, where it's come from, but using just five minutes in between meetings and taking breaths or five minutes between in, in between engagements, using the breath just to calm mm. and center and set an intention for the next interaction has dramatically reduced stress for me and anxiety. Mm. And that also, a little tip for people is that if you set your Microsoft Outlook calendar, it will automatically give you five, 10, or 15 minutes in between your meetings. It will automatically schedule that in for you. Nice. So I've been using that five minutes to really just, I'm not going to get anything done. I'm mm-hmm. simply going to breathe, take a moment, and use that third space to set the intention. Um, and you know, talking about the want nothing time actually comes from Janet Lansbury. So she oh. talks a lot about this. And it's a great technique with kids. And you think about it, want nothing time is when you're not looking for anything from them. You don't want them to get dressed. You don't want them to brush their teeth. You, know, you don't want them out the door. Versus want something time, which is I want you to eat your dinner. I want you to clear your plate. Or I want you to pick mm-hmm. up your food, those kinds of things. And I've been applying this with my team. So if any of them are listening, they probably know what I'm doing now. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, just reaching out not delegating anything, not following up on anything, but like, how are you? How's your day going? What's happening for you? And really encouraging that conversation to go outside of work. And of course, if they want to talk about work, I do. But that want nothing time, I think, is an opportunity for human connection. And it's just, especially in this pandemic isolation, it's about saying, like, I'm just here for you. I don't want anything from you. And I it's hard to do as a parent and it's hard right. to do as a leader. And right. I think it's really important. I think it's really important. Gorgeous. Well, we are just about out of time in 30 seconds or less. Can you give me for the listeners a call for action? Absolutely. My call to action is be kind to yourself. Connect, connect with someone that really, you know, makes you feel good and connect with someone else with the intent of making them feel good. Because I think we all need that in this day and time. That's beautiful. And for me, my first call for action is to practice the GPS. I love that. Grateful, pleased, satisfied. I'm, I can't wait till the day's over so I can sit down and go, well, what was it? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And my other call for action for listeners is for them, for listeners, send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, and blunders, and successes via email or social media. I'll read them and discuss them on future shows, perhaps make suggestions. My email is amy at carolcoaching.com. That's two R's and two L's. If you want to connect with Cassandra, you can do so on LinkedIn. That's Cassandra Knight, K-R-I-S-A-N-D-R-A-K-N-I-G-H-T. Now, do you know what can trigger even nice people to make unethical choices? Have you been able, do you have your own definition for ethical behavior? If you're curious and you want to know more, be sure to tune in next week for my discussion with Dr. Bettina Pelozo and find out how to turn your ethical challenges into a secret superpower. 
And speaking of superpowers, if you want to join my superhero partner power, you want to take them in your powers into the next decade, feel free to join me for my online leadership presence course. And you can check out more about that on my website, carolcoaching.com, or connect with me on any of my social media channels, Amy Carol Coaching. Chrisandra, thank you. It has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Wonderful. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.